Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. How do you define vastness? What is vastness? We may each have a different picture in our mind when we think about it. For me, I have pictures of a constant rolling ocean, endless on the horizon or the never-ending expanse of stars that canopy above us. But how about you? What do you think of? In this episode, we reflect on the poetics and bonnies of the sick paradigm to begin discussing what it means to sit in that vastness. I'm joined with Sick Research Institute's researcher, Jasleen Kaur, who starts us off with the perspectives from Sikhi and how it interacts into our lives. So I'm here, I'm joined with uh, Jasleen Kaur right now, researcher with the Sick Research Institute. Um, a while back, we uh, did a video series. It was uh, called The Countdown to Visaki. And uh, she was one of the featured speakers we had for one of those days. Um, but she sort of shared something with the audience that actually got a lot of people thinking. I had a big response with uh, what people were feeling and experiencing at that time. And that was discussing this idea about uh, vastness. Um, so I'm joined with Jasleen right now, and um, she's going to explain a little bit further about what she was talking about. Uh, uh, nice, to, nice to see you, Jasleen. Thanks, Sean. Nice to see you, too. So I guess I just want to start off with the question. In the, the sick paradigm, uh, how do we define vastness? That was that idea that people were really grabbing onto in that video that you had done. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think so much of the sick paradigm relies on the realization of vastness and our place in vastness. So when we talk about ikongar and oneness, when we talk about um, like the the light is within us and we are also part of the light, that's really what we're trying to kind of constantly be aware of is the fact that like all of these things that we see as separate and unique and maybe in opposition to one another um, throughout cre creation, uh, all of those things are part of that same oneness. And that oneness is itself this kind of inexplicably vast thing where you can't see its beginning and you can't see its end. And so much of Gurbani urges us to tap into that vastness as a way to kind of recenter ourselves um, and as a way to kind of zoom out from whatever granular things we might be dealing with that vastness becomes the way that you connect to an understanding of and an internalization of um awareness of oneness and of of ikonkar so the reason that i brought that idea up is because in our work on the guru grand project we were working on a 40 of asakivar where that idea is really explored so it's 43, and the word that keeps being repeated is actually not vastness. It's vismad, which means like awe, uh, the experience of awe or, or being wonderstruck. And that whole 40 repeats this word, and the whole 40 is saying, I feel awe at all of these things that are going on. So awe at the, um, at the kind of building up or the creation uh, that's happening all around us and awe too at the decay, which is a thing that I think 
is really hard to internalize is like uh, how can i be just as awestruck and kind of stupefied in the best way by things that i kind of classify as maybe like bad or sad or whatever it might be in the same way that i'm in awe at like a beautiful sunset or the stars or the moon or like all these things that we kind of think are objectively good right so that that like call to be in awe at everything i think is especially important now where we're like dealing with a lot of grief and a lot of um just like urgent issues of like expecting better of our communities and and being in pain because of it because a lot of things have to be kind of pulled to the surface um and so how can we go through these times where we are in pain and suffering and we're watching people that we don't know but who we love um suffering how do we move past just feeling in pain and figure out how to really like internalize that awe in a way that honors oneness and honors like both the easy kind of happy stuff and the really difficult things that I think a lot of us are are feeling a lot of the time now like I noticed uh, you'd mentioned um, a lot of finding that understanding of vastness comes around to centering on Gurbani. Is is that what you were saying? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, yeah. During your recording, and also you've done some other podcasts with us, uh, another podcast called Whatever Will Be, Will Be. Um, if the listener hasn't uh, had a chance to listen to that, I'd take a look at that. But there, there's this one, um, I think it, it's one of the Shabbats that you you kind of come back to uh, often, which, uh, which, here, I'll play it for the listener right here. One reality realized by eternal perfection's grace. When I was present, you were not. Now only you, no I. Like strong winds raise ocean waves, only water is within water. O master illusionist, Madho, what can I say this doubt is like? It is not like what we think. Reflect. A ruler, sleeping on the throne, dreams becoming a beggar. Kingdom intact, believes lost, suffers pain. Such is our state. Like rope and snake parables, now some mystery is understood. Like forgetting seeing numerous bracelets, gold is separated. Now I cannot utter utterance of separation. One owner is in all, among many, enjoying in all hearts. Ravidas says, Master illusionist is nearer than hands. Whatever transpires, transpires naturally. So that was the recording that you uh, did with us in one of our previous podcasts and what you shared with the audience um, during the Countdown to Fusaki uh, video series that we did. Could you explain a little bit to us, what is it about that um, piece that you keep coming back to and exploring this idea of vastness? Yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite Shabbats of all time. Um, and I think the thing that really that really is unique about that Shabbat, which is not to say that there's no Shabbats like that anywhere else in the Guru Granth Sahib, but the, 
but the tone of that Shabbat and the way that Bhagat Ravidas um, very kind of openly and in a in like a very vulnerable way struggles through his um, experiences as a human being on earth um, that is a sort of revolutionarily vulnerable thing to put on paper and I think a lot of times as a community when we're t when we're like talking about things like Jardikala which is a lot of times translated as everlasting optimism um, when we quote lines about Duk and Suk so this like this uh, false binary of like comfort or happiness and pain a lot of times when we talk about things that are maybe binaries in the human experience just like when we just look at them when we're kind of surrounded by our experiences and not zoomed out we we have conversations i think as a community that sometimes don't allow for the feelings that Bhagat ravidas is expressing because he's not saying from the first line i get it like this is all part of the vastness and i just need to kind of get on the same page and that's it he's taking us through his struggle to understand that vastness and the false binaries that humans kind of are constantly making around themselves so much of i think what human beings struggle with is how to take life as its as its whole kind of experience instead of just like focusing in on the the good bits and so many of the questions i think that we get at sikri are about those those things that people see are as like as opposing so how do we get through the the parts of our lives that are painful how do we be thankful for the parts of our lives that are painful and sometimes i think the conversations around that question kind of erase the need like the necessity for struggling through those questions and so instead it becomes well you know chin up things are not that bad or you just need to be thankful and i think that really kind of dilutes the journey that Bhagat Ravidas is like showing us by example which is like it takes time and and you might even feel it one day and then go back to feeling unhappy and in pain and unable to zoom out another day and like that's part of being a human and so the thing that really really keeps me coming back to Bhagat Ravidas is that he explains that he is uncertain and that he is struggling um but he's not there the frustration is kind of a loving frustration with the divine and this like play that he's witnessing and then the the conclusion is not now now tell me the answer show me why all this stuff is happening he's saying i am coming to terms with the fact that i as a human being on earth cannot understand fully what the big picture is i cannot fully understand the vastness but i know that even in the moments when i am confused and struggling and maybe in pain you are closer to me than my own hands and so that kind of faith in the like larger play that we can't even see fully is like a thing that i obviously i think all of us aspire to but he's he's not sort of presenting it in a way that makes you feel like you're not allowed to get through those struggling parts um, or that they're like 
there's some sort of timeline that needs to happen where you arrive at this conclusion and then that's it. And, uh, and to be honest, I think mo most people that I know haven't gotten to that conclusion. And so I think in general, my, my sh favorite Shabbats that like really speak to me are the ones where the gurus or the Bhagats who have written those Shabbats are being so candid about their very human struggles and experiences and emotions. Because a lot of times we think that elevated people like that didn't feel those things. Um, and sometimes that is used as, as an excuse to, uh, to kind of dismiss our feelings and our struggles and our pain. You know, like that's the, the aspect that you're talking about is the, the very human level of trying to understand or not just to understand vastness, but to come to terms with it in a way. Could you maybe take us through a time in a moment in your life where you felt, you know, that that idea was best emulated? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the biggest one that I think of, which I've sort of alluded to in writing a couple of times, is that there was a period of time in my life where I lost a lot of people at once, and I was only a kid. So I was 12 and my grandmother died really young. And then when I was 14, um, one of my classmates was murdered. And then when I was 15, my cousin died in a car accident. And it was all these kind of like quick, violent um, experiences with death that as like a child, you don't really have any kind of reference point because you're so young that like oftentimes when you, if you're 12 and somebody has passed away that's usually like the first person that you've known to have died I you know there was this added thing of like being I was at a new school in high school and I didn't know anybody and so I was dealing with like one being a teenager which is like hard enough as it is and two like dealing with these large questions of like what what is a life if I know now that someone can be taken away so young, whether it's because they were driving too fast without a seatbelt or because like somebody got on a public bus and decided to open fire, right? Like there are these, there are these things about life and being human that are, I would say as like a 12 year old or 14 year old, I would classify as horrible things, bad things. Um, and I didn't sit down, you know, after dealing with all of those things as a child and go home and say, it's hook'em. Like, this is, this is the divine will, this is the command, and I have to accept it. Um, I was angry for a really long time. I was really sad for a really long time. And I, I wanted nothing to do with any kind of connection to divinity for a really long time. I remember like a moment of being like 14, 15 years old after my cousin Sean died. And I was like looking for God, like quote unquote God, because I didn't really have this idea of like Ikonkar really in my brain. And I was looking for God in everything because I needed to know that like, even if you die when you're a kid, that life has some kind of meaning. And there was this desperation. And I've talked about this with like later events too, and just like dealing with death and pain and grief. It's like 
there's this moment when the sort of veil of separation between you and this thing that feels far away from you. So in this case, like Ikongar, the, the divine, whatever you want to call, call it. Um, in moments of desperation, when you're like looking urgently for meaning, I think that any kind of trepidation you have or like insecurity you have about like seeking connection because maybe it feels silly, um, that goes away. So I was so desperate to to find meaning in things that didn't hold meaning for me as a child and i found it because of my grandpa mostly because he was the one who when i would come home from school as a child would be sitting outside and like crying at how blue the sky was and i was like this man's crazy but those were the kinds of things because those were examples given to me when i was a kid i started to really feel that and so when we talk about vastness and connecting to vastness you know granatic side says in arthi like if you really want to connect with that vastness look at how the breeze is moving in reverence to ikonkar look at how the trees are moving in reverence to ikonkar you can hear the unstruck music that the entire like world is playing all by itself if you just pay attention um and that's what's so i think kind of so revolutionary about the idea of vastness to begin with is that like anybody can access it at any time because we're surrounded by it and I don't think that I I needed it or at least I didn't think I needed it until I experienced like heartbreak pain that comes from harnessing or sort of latching on to that vastness and allowing it to kind of carry me through all of this stuff one thing that you like you're mentioning right like this ideas of of suffering and grief there's a there's a quote that you used that uh said the suffering becomes the cure and and that was something that you had brought forward in in your videos and in your podcasts and in your writing mm-hmm. is that sort of what you're describing here about trying to find this turning point to be able to find being okay in this vastness is, is it something different? But tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, I think so. The quote is from Asakivar, actually. It's from Yurnanik Saib. And he's talking about the moments that we are comfortable. And he so the word the word is sook, and some people translate that as happy. Um, but if you look at the root, you could also translate it as comfortable. And I think that that's kind of, that's a better way to say it because that's a little more nuanced. Because it's not just in moments of extreme joy, but moments of just kind of like comfort where things are going okay in your life and you're not really feeling any kind of worry or suffering. Don't know what that's like, but you know. Um, So he says that when you are comfortable in that way, you actually end up in pain because of separation or I guess the illusion of separation. Because when you're comfortable, you forget about how everything is connected, how you're part of this vastness and everyone around you is part of it, Gongar, and and you don't act accordingly because that's not in your brain anymore. And so he says when you're suffering, that suffering reminds you of your smallness. So many people have said that, like, oh, you know, that's when I felt the smallest was when I went through this, like, horrible thing in my life. And when you're suffering and you feel small and also vast, like, it's this, like, I think it's this kind of interplay between smallness and vastness that really only happens in moments where you're uncomfortable or in pain. Um, 
And it's because your suffering gives you that moment of desperation for connection, like what I was talking about before. And that's when you're like, okay, I, I'm fully aware that I'm part of this vastness and I'm looking for meaning and I would love it if somebody would give me some. And so you kind of, you seek out things that you don't necessarily feel like you need to seek out when things are all great, which is exactly what happened to me when I was a kid. Because when I was 12, before my grandma died, I was like, I'm 12 and life is great. <laughs> um, and so it's in those moments where you are feeling helpless that you turn to vastness to, to make you feel not so helpless, I think. Professor Burensing also talks about that. He says that the people who are like really anchored in, in the vastness and anchored in oneness are the people who like have kind of, the way that I kind of think of it is like, you've, you, you're, if you think about your like being as like something that is folded up like a million times, I think that when you go through suffering or when you open yourself up to those feelings or empathize with other people and generally just like go through life, I feel like that thing in your heart starts to unfold. I think this idea that pain or discomfort or suffering is, is like a, a vehicle for some kind of empathy and understanding of Ikonkar, I think that I've experienced that. Like, I think that that's true. Um, but I think sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that it can happen real quick if we just kind of will it. And that's not been my experience. It takes time. You know, maybe the listeners at home um, might be wondering too, maybe they, they're going through a, a hard moment in their life right now with experiencing some heavy grief, or but maybe they're in that situation where it's it's not so much, you know, in their face, they're not experiencing that same way. But there was something that you had mentioned earlier in your other videos, um, was that you, you said that grief is sort of this low hum. I think in relation, you were describing it to what we're all experiencing on a collective level with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement at the time of this recording, uh, uh, with, you know, this global pandemic we're seeing right now in 2020 and, you know, countless other things. Yeah. Maybe, could you describe to us a little bit more in that direction, this idea of a low hum? Yeah, I, I, the reason that I described gr the grief that is unique to this time that way is because not all of us are actively experiencing the same pain, which is true all the time, right? But when you compare like the grief of this time where there's a pandemic, there's a lack of justice, there's no equity. There are like systems that are that are being uh, further uncovered as being unjust. That's not necessarily a thing that all of us are actively grieving all of the time. But again, that also depends on who you are, right? So if you're a black person living in America, you've you've felt that grief loud for way way longer than than a lot of people have. I was comparing the grief of the pandemic specifically because I, I that video was before the black lives matter movement like picked up in the way that it has in the past couple of months it's like different from the loud swallowing you grief that you might have when you lose someone because it's this collective global thing that's happening in different iterations some people are suffering a lot more than others because of systemic 
inequality and how it set certain people up to suffer more than other people. And because of that, we're like sitting at home, hyper aware of like the death count, like the death toll and the cases and how many cases are, are, are happening, like new cases are happening every day. And it's this kind of overwhelming thing. But then we also have to like live our lives and do our work and like adjust to this new reality. And so there's this way that this kind of grief feels like just like this thing that is a sound that is playing underneath everything. And if you sit and you're not doing anything and you're like allowing things around you to be quiet, that grief can get pretty loud because it's, you're finally like sort of zoomed in on it. But the reason that I described it as like a low hum or a lull or whatever is because there's this like urgency of, of like having to do all these other things while you're adjusting to this grief that you maybe don't even know how to name. And then now that like the murder of George Floyd has happened, the Black Lives Matter movement has picked up and we're in a, a movement uh, period, which is like unprecedented. That grief, I think, has become louder, but not in a swallow you up kind of way, in a way that's like powerful and like rooted in like love and justice and I think that so maybe the song has changed a little bit or like maybe the note has changed a little bit but it's still playing in the background maybe the difference now is that people are instead of like trying to ignore it they're like singing along and I think that is because we have experienced a time where we had the pandemic where we were like, okay, we actually are all part of communities and we have to take care of each other. And I think there was this kind of like shaking awake of, of like the collective in a way that was necessary because of the pandemic. And it was like, we have to look out for each other. And that empathy, I think was a great way to prime us for what we're in now, which is like, my empathy does not allow me to ignore what is going on it does not allow me to ignore the injustices that I'm seeing every day. <laughs> um, and it does not allow me to ignore the suffering of people who are part of my community. And Professor Purun Singh also talks about that. He said that revolutionary like love and justice that is rooted in empathizing with the pain of other people has the power to like overturn systemic oppression. It has the power to challenge tyranny. It has the power to put us in a world that is better than the one that we started out in. I I just think that we've we've kind of been shaken awake in a way that is there's like no coming back from that, I don't think. Coming back to that idea of, of vastness, right? Mm -hmm. And we're talking about that sort of that challenge about how do we want to imagine our future, right? That's I, I feel is, is a part of that vastness, right? Even if it's, you know, when we talk about the vastness, we're normally talking about like a, a very large thing, let alone this, what we would consider maybe a small piece of that, whether it's our systems in government, how we are as a society, what our future looks like. Mm -hmm. How do you think our reflection on the ideas of, of how we view vastness alongside what we view our future to be coincide? Like what, what is your thoughts when we try and bring it back to that idea? Mm -hmm. I think 
vastness, I think an understanding of vastness and an anchoring in vastness gives us the like emotional, spiritual, mental, intellectual, whatever you want to call it, stamina to do the work. I think it takes us from the feeling of helplessness to the feeling of I can do something. Um, the feeling of like of hope, <laughs> maybe that's cheesy, but you know, so much of where a lot of us, I think, were in March when the pandemic first kind of became a reality for a lot of us was like this feeling of hopelessness and sadness and kind of like helplessness. I think when you take those feelings and ground yourself in vastness, you find that you don't have to just sit in your feelings, at least not forever. Like you can have your I mean, I had my two weeks of being sad, you know, <laughs> you can have that time and and then you can come out of it feeling like there is work to be done and that you can take part in that in some way. And so, yeah, I think like when we talk about the vastness, it's not always just like this abstract thing, right? Like we can talk about the vastness when it comes to movements. If you want to be involved in a movement, whether that's Black Lives Matter or or whatever, you bring your own unique perspective, unique set of skills, and unique experiences to the table because you are a unique part of the vastness. And so there's like this practical element of vastness that I think I've been thinking of a lot just in the past couple of months, um, taking part in like protests and and giving you know money to organizations that I feel like are doing good work. Because even if I, even if I felt like I couldn't go to the protest, right? Because there's the issue of the pandemic. Um, there are other ways that I can contribute. There are always other ways. So if we think about vastness practically, I think it's also about understanding that all of these like different people are playing very specific and important roles and bringing very specific and important skills and knowledge and experiences to the things they're taking part in. Yeah, there's a practicality to that, to that understanding. On that idea that we were just describing, is there any sort of last thing that you want to leave with uh, our listeners, people who are tuning in right now? I think I would encourage people to continue to open themselves up to that vastness. Um, because I think sometimes, in a way maybe to protect ourselves. We like close our, we close that thing that was all folded up. We close it back up um, in our hearts because it's like easier to not feel empathy or sad for other people or, or be open to other people's pain. And I understand that, but I think we are in this together and for the long haul and we need each other. And so if you need to fold up your little heart for a couple of days and like recharge, great. But don't don't let this time just be like any other time. And don't be comfortable because when you're comfortable, that's when the pain really sets in and you're just going to be back to <laughs> back to suffering and then that that'll become the cure again anyway. So I would say keep yourself open to that. Um collective pain 
and listen for the lull and maybe sing along if you have the tools to sing along and not, you know, feel hopeless and helpless. We're going to like need to carry each other through this time. In order to do that, I think it's easier if we all stay open to that, to that feeling and that vastness. Hmm. All right, Jocelyn, thank you for taking a moment to speak with me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.